Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest, the legend, the one, the only, Drea DeMatteo is on the show. And get ready. You may know her from The Sopranos. You may know her from Sons of Anarchy. You may know her from Joey. You may know her from her amazing podcast, The Gangster Goddesses Broadcast, which is a Sopranos podcast, but but so much more. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. You've really knocked it out of the park this time, Tristan. We have Sopranos Week here on Turned Out of Punk. Thanks to Tristan. So thank you, Tristan, for for all the hard work that you do. If you want to get in touch with me directly, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Left for Damien. There are also a Facebook page and a Instagram page for the podcast. Both of those are found at Turned Out of Punk on their respective platforms. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by by telling everyone you know. Uh, that we do this podcast over here where we just ask people about punk music. And we ask all sorts of people about punk music, but, you know, it helps if they like punk first. But tell the, tell all your friends about it. You can also subscribe to it and rate it on your platform of choice. You can also head over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash turnedoutapunk, and check out some of the stuff we put up there, like footnotes. And uh, thank you, thank you to all the patrons for uh, making this show possible. And speaking of support, this show would also not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans. Vans came aboard a few years ago and said, hey, we like what you do, Damien. Just, uh, you know, you, you just don't have to do it out of your own pocket anymore. And they've really helped me do that. And so I really got to say thank you to Vans for that. All right, on to today's show. Today on the show, Drea DeMatteo. Now, Drea is someone that I first heard about being into punk in the uh, heady days of the early 2000s on the Bridge Nine message board during the kind of the early run of The Sopranos, I guess. Someone posted that Drea was someone that used to go to punk rock shows and hardcore shows in New York City. And I stuck this into the file of facts in the back of my mind. And when Tristan came to me and said, we want to do a Sopranos week for this podcast one, he said, I want to do a Sopranos week for the podcast. I said, you got to get in touch with Drea to make this happen because she is someone I've always wanted to talk to about this rumor. And uh, that's it. I'm not going to set it up anymore. I'm going to give you notes at the end because I want you to go into this the way I went into this, which is just expecting a phone call from Drea and hoping that she was in a punk. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Drea DeMatteo on Turned Out a Punk. <laughs> Drea, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you heard I was a punk fan? Yes, there's been a rumor that goes mm. back to the early 2000s, the heady days of the early 2000s, where uh, I read on a message board that you were a punk rock fan. And if this is not the case, I really apologize for wasting your time. But before I let you go, though, I'm a huge fan as well. <laughs> before you let me go. Well, in case you just want to hang up now, in case you're like, I don't know where... I got into this from, but yeah, I, gotta I, think, go. um, I think somebody might've gotten it confused if they were um, hearing that I listened to um, 92.7 in New York. Maybe it was actually 92.3 <laughs> because I was actually listening to the disco station because I'm a massive disco freak, man. 
Absolutely. Well, no, that, well, that, you know, it is, and it's funny, they are parallel worlds that seem very disparate, but there are some overlaps through the no wave scene between the two worlds. Damien, I'm totally fucking with you. Okay, good. I'm glad. Um, I've seen Pray for Rock and Roll, so I hope that wasn't all acting. Oh, God. You saw that. Well, I worked in a video store, so that when that came out, that was a very popular rental at the video store. Where do you live, man? Toronto. Oh my God, I love Toronto. It's like New York with training wheels. I was just posting all over my Instagram just now. Mm -hmm. um, the Canadian flag, like a crazy person. <laughs> right before I called you. And I was like, holy shit, I'm late to call this guy. And you're <laughs> fucking Canada. Well, it was it was serendipitous then. Canada's my happy place, man. Well, that, that's great to hear. Because I really, you know, as I said before, I worked in a video store. And as well as Pray for Rock and Roll being a very popular rental, I got to say, I think the Sopranos seasons kept us afloat as, wow. as, as a store for you know, a number a of years. Video store, so you must be old like me. I am an older person. I'm, I'm certainly, uh, you know, I'm young at heart like we all are, but at the same time, I'm old enough to appreciate the fact that, uh, like, you know, like video stores and record stores, those are, those are my happy places. Me too, man. They don't exist anymore. I remember... Um... Have you ever, have you spent time in New York? Absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely. I've, I've been to New York, you know, quite a few times over the years. Not, I have never lived there, but I recorded an album there a couple of years ago, actually. I used to, um, I used to live on St. Mark's place. I don't know if you know about St. Mark's, but it's mm -hmm. kind of like, kind of the birth of punk rock in that neighborhood in New York City. I don't, I don't know that much about punk, so I'm not going to try and pretend I do, but you can ask me questions. I mean, I know my fair share of ever a little bit of everything about music because I'm really just a music junkie more than anything. Um, but on St. Mark's, man, there were, I mean, first of all, we used to think Tower Records was a piece of shit back then. <laughs> and now we think of Tower Records or Amoeba Records here in LA, like, holy shit, these places are going to be gone soon. Um, well, Tower is gone, but back in the day, it was, you wanted to go to places like Smash CDs or Bleaker Bobs, or, you know, it was just all the bootleg, um, imports from Europe and stuff. It was, it was pretty awesome, man. Well, I, I definitely want to talk about all this with you, but I got to start this show off the way they all start off, which is Drea, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Oh shit, man. I mean, I, you know, just like, just like all punk rockers, um, I was probably in, in my existential youth sort of feeling like a nihilist back in those days <laughs> when I was a kid and, you know, kind of lost. And I now I wasn't one of these like happy go lucky kids. I was definitely someone who was more, um, I didn't fit in with anybody at school, just like, you know, most folks that are probably in this industry. Mm -hmm. um, I always associated myself with a musical genre to run away. So any, or, or to fit in, to run away, to fit in, to, I don't know, to identify with something, you know, like most kids did, I, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I grew up with two older brothers. Punk was not on my radar. I mean, I'm a, I'm a girl from Queens, like a, an Italian, like a super Italian upbringing. You, you would be listening to disco music for real. Mm. My brothers were listening to like serious rock and roll. One brother was a major hippie. The other brother um, was more of a, a classic rock guy. But back then it wasn't as classic. The other brother was a deadhead. 
So I didn't, um, I was rebelling against them with, with disco music for real and, and hip hop and all that kind of stuff. Um, then when I got into high school, I didn't fit in anywhere. So the only kids that I hung out with were, you know, well, what are you doing this weekend? We're going to see the Crow Mags or, you know, we're going to see Fear. I was like, all right, well, whatever the fuck that is, I'll be there. <laughs> That's so, awesome. <laughs> You know, so I was around it almost by default. It was always like, it was the crowd I fell into mm -hmm. a lot of the time. But um, but yeah, my music taste is all over the place. But go ahead, ask me more questions. <laughs> no, well, I, I think you brought up a lot of interesting points there. Like, it's amazing how how much of a choice you used to have to make in in your identity based on, you know, how many records you were able to buy in a given genre. Like, because you, you had limited resources, you know, like, and you had to dress a certain way to fit in with certain groups. And so it, it, it was something that seems like it's different than, you know, the way I'm raising my kids now where they can be into everything at once. Yeah. It's, it's so different. My daughter, I felt so bad yesterday. She was talking about, she said, well, this is what's on my playlist. And I go, wait a minute, you have a playlist. <laughs> she goes, you know, I have a playlist, but I'm embarrassed to play it in front of you. And I'm like, why are you embarrassed to play it in front of me? She's like, because you won't think it's cool. And I'm like, I, nothing I do is cool. Like I'm not cool. Um, you know, they, they're, she likes certain, certain, you know, pop songs and things like I'm not really one to judge anybody's musical taste. However, however, <laughs> I do feel like the music industry has really, I don't know if it's the industry or clear channel or like, you know, whatever the politicking of the music world has become, it's really become impossible to have any sort of any any um, traces left to rock and roll music, whether it's punk, rock, um, metal, any of those. It, you just it, 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 I mean, not that it has to be mainstream. It doesn't have to be. But there's just not even any even a little bit, a tiny bit of room for it for the future that's coming up right now um, where they even just get a taste of it in the mainstream so that they can go and do their own research. It bums yeah. me out. Yeah, well, it's funny because you brought up the Cro-Mags earlier, and it's like amazing how sort of uh, how how kind of like ahead of the curve those lyrics seem. Unfortunately, these days, like a lot of these bands, you know, we're we're talking about things that we're actually kind of dealing with and facing right now in the world around us. You know, I don't really remember. I'm not going to try to come off like I sound like I know what the fuck I'm talking about because I'm. I'll just disappoint the punk rock listeners here. But I don't really remember a lot of the main music that has stuck with me throughout all of the years that wasn't just an in and out phase, you know, is probably like the deep, deep classics of, you know, I'm, my, my favorite band of all time, Sabbath. Mm -hmm. So that's that's where I'm at. You know, to me, that's all punk rock, even though you, I'm sure that you're, you know, a lot of people there is going to probably be fucking screaming and throwing their phones against the wall when I see no, no, definitely not. I don't. Th I, I think we on the show we really try and kind of like maintain a pretty open kind of view of the genre, and I think that's what makes it such a cool kind of genre is the fact that you can okay. have groups like, you know, a group that is heavily influenced like Black Sabbath, like Sleep or something, and and then you can also have bands like the Cro-Mags. You can also have bands like Bikini Kill. You can have stuff that's really kind of all over the place that that all fits under the umbrella. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, there were so many offshoots even back then, like when I was listening to um, when I was going to see a lot of those bands. And again, like I said, like a lot of it was by default. Like I wasn't 
I mean, bands that I intentionally went to go see were, you know, a bit more like um, the Talking Heads, you know, stuff like that. I mean, if the other one of my favorite bands is would be the Velvet Underground, um, which obviously I was too, I was I was too young for all that. But um, oh man, I'm just remembering. I'm remembering the clubs in my when I was in high school, I'm just closing my eyes and trying to remember that we went to go see. There was a club called called the Ritz, which then turned into Webster Hall, which is not as cool. But the when it was the Ritz, I remember going to see Fear there, and I don't know if I have this memory correct in my head, but I swear that. Um, that that oh that leaving jumped from the from the balcony into the into the crowd. Now I could be totally fucking wrong about this, yeah. but I remember that night and and remember it being something really dramatic happening, and remember that that was what it was. And I, I mean, I could be wrong about it, but anyway. But back to the lyrics of the Crow Mags music. Um, see how you know I'm a podcaster, so I take it right back to to where I where I diverted. Um, and digressed, but um, I feel like the lyrics of any of these kind of songs that relate to any kind of unrest and discomfort and, you know, you know, our podcast, I don't know if you know that I have a podcast oh, too, yeah. um, called Gangster Goddess Broadcast. We deal with the show, The Sopranos, based on how timely it is today and how the the issues don't, they, they just never get tired because these are universal issues they're interpersonal issues. They're all these feelings of sort of um, mental awareness and, you know, just social commentaries through the, you know, through the dialogue, through their relationships. And I feel like all those songs back then by all those punk artists and even, you know, certain rock, you know, certain rock bands, if they're dark enough and deep enough, I don't, I don't, I definitely don't like music that's glossy and, you know, that's glammy and poppy. It's not my thing. Unless it's got a really fucking killer hook, then I can go for it. Or if my kid really loves it, I, I might, you know, might give in. But I feel like all those lyrics are, um, they're universal, man. Especially if they speak the same, same language as some of us sort of people that are either outcasts or who just really understand the climate of our times. And not everybody does, you know. Not everyone. Not everyone's aware. I wish I was one of those people that were less aware of everything. <laughs> well, you brought up the Sopranos there, and it's amazing how timeless that show is. You know, like I've got, especially in bands, like so many people I know in bands that now with a lot of time on their hands are going back and rewatching it. And it's just, it's amazing how like, you know, John Cooper Clark, like some of the bands that are used on the soundtrack for that, it's just, it's just a show that, you know, going back and rewatching it, it just... Yeah, hits today, like you're saying, in 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 a very poignant kind of way. Yeah, and I think that's with you know with with the classics, with the great bands of you know even classic punk, classic rock, classic anything, even I mean even some fucking disco songs. Like there's this song called Grace of God. I don't know why I keep talking about disco, by the way. I'm not a real disco freak, but because I made that joke at the beginning, now I'm on this tear. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. I was listening to this one disco song called grace of god and she's talking about um being uh talking about a gay boy in the neighborhood and how there by the grace of god go i and talking about how there's no blacks no jews no no gays like they're creating a world where 
this would exist. And it's a disco song. And that's fucking punk rock, man. The way she put that song up there and put it out in the world during a time where people were antagonizing people for being different. You know, I feel like that is an, you know, it's an attitude, man. It's a, and I feel like it, it, it bleeds into almost anything. Um, but then we have, you know, the straight up punk rock. Yeah. And I think, well, I, you know, can you, I ask you a question though? Oh, absolutely. Are you, please. Are you New York or, or, or LA? What, what punk rock? What, I have to ask New York versus LA, bro. <laughs> I think I'd probably be New York. Cause just growing up on the East coast, you know, like yeah, obviously there's a, you know, similar climate. And I think just like a similar sort of a, I don't know. I've, I felt like a lot more of the New York bands were kind of coming up here, like early on when green day was kind of exploding when I was first kind of, you know, getting into all this stuff. Um, it, it was certainly California, but as time went on, like, you know, like as, as you said off the top, you know, and I, the first band I gravitated to over fear was the Cro-Mags. So I got to say New York. Oh, okay. Yeah. New York's the right answer. I just feel like New York, <laughs> I know like the UK, like the UK is fight, you know, battling against the, the whole social experience there. And then New Yorkers, you know, New York thinks that they're as big as fucking Texas or they think they're as big as any country. You know, they think they are England. They think they're as big as England. I'm from New York, but I'm sitting here in L.A., so I'm saying they, even <laughs> yeah, though exactly. I'm part of the New York experience because that's where I grew up. But, um, yeah, we're fucking bigger than life. And we're, we're in a fucking city where we get off on on our reputation. Like, we dig it. We're fucking cramped. You know, we're pissed. But we're really not like we love being from there. You know, it's L.A. is just a little just a little glossy, man. Yeah, it's different. It was 100 percent different. But also, like like you're saying, you know, there's a there's a right to kind of feel like a country unto itself, because culturally, especially music for what we're talking about, like at the same time as you have Max's Kansas City and, you know, Studio 54 going, you also have all the stuff that would be hardcore kind of happening at the A7. You've got like so much stuff and hip hop starting and rap starting at the same time and no wave. It's just, it's a city where throughout the eighties and into the early nineties, you have just so many different things that, that become culturally relevant happening at once. Yes, totally. I mean, and you know, we also, you just can't compare like, like we had the plasmatics, you know, yes, like, exactly. we had the fucking cramps, man. I mean, <laughs> anthrax. I mean, we, we were, you know, with the Ramones. I mean, I know that, 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 um, oh my God, man, I was at a, um, oh, who was, oh, John, Var John Varvatos. Is that how you say his name? The clothing yep. designer. Yep. He bought CBGBs and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God he did. Cause it would have just gone to shit had he not. So at least you can walk in there and feel like you're a part of something still. Um, and I used to spend a lot of time in the actual CBGBs, but he held, he held an event for, for, oh man, I don't want to pause it all on your podcast because it's the worst when people are fucking going silent. It was an event for a Mick Rock, a Mick Rock documentary or, okay. or a Mick Rock show. You know who Mick Rock is, Absolutely. Right? One of the most brilliant photographers ever. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so awesome. He, so there was a panel and it was Johnny Rotten. And, it, and a lot of other people like Henry Rollins. And um, I, I can't remember who was there because I only remember, I think, uh, who's uh, the Ramon, Mark Marky Ramon. Ramon, right? Is Mark that... Ramon. Did you read about this or I, did you watch? I've watched you the that? live stream of it happening. Oh! 
<laughs> I was there. Oh in the my front god! Fucking row, and I was dying. And everybody was like, "Come on, we should get up. We should get up. We should leave." I said, "Fuck that! This is the most entertainment I have had in like six years. I'm not going anywhere. I want to watch these motherfuckers kill each other. I don't care." <laughs> Johnny Lydon was on fucking fire i mean okay so you watched it you know i don't know if your audience knows but if if they haven't seen it tell them where to get that link and they all need to go watch it because punk rock is still alive (laughs) yeah i think it was actually it was the release of that um was it showtime that did the punk rock documentary like a four-part history of punk thing and i think it was john voter he was like the sponsor for it or something or like yeah yeah he put the whole thing together i guess and I never watched it. I watched it when I was there in the theater, but I never watched it afterwards. It, all I needed to see was was Leiden going <laughs> after fucking Marky Ramon and and Henry Rollins. Because he thought, like, I think he really thought that he was the panel. You know? Yeah. yeah. He didn't think he didn't understand that there actually were other people there to talk. And then he got drunk, more drunk, and then he tried to take then he tried to apologize by saying his wife wasn't well. Yeah. Um, so that was like his fallback, but I was like, oh shit, man, we have the same business manager. So I got home and I called my business man, I text her and I go, yo, your client's on fire. (laughs) (laughs) I remember actually, do you remember a couple years ago or like now it's like a long time ago actually, but there was a story about him beating up Jimmy Percy from Sham 69 in the American consulate and the pretenders had to break up the fight. (laughs) No, it's fucking great. You know what, man? He is, no one can deny him. When he's arguing that he is the only punk rocker on the planet and he's still pulling that shit at this age, you know what? Then he's right. He is the only yeah. punk rocker left. Fuck it. He can have that crown. He can have it. He have you have, have you watched it. his Judge Judy episode? No. Oh, wow. That is a, that is a good YouTube watch. Oh my God, I'm so on it. I'm writing it down right now. But, but I, by the way, man, I was obsessed with his band, with with, uh, with Public Image. I really, I really dug that band. You, you may hate it, whatever, but I really dug it. No, not at all. Yeah, I'm I, a chick. So chicks, you know, we like some of the softer shit, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, but I think, I think it's amazing that he followed up the Sex Pistols with that band. And like the fact that Public Image Limited put out, you know, like, you know, it's like a, a kind of incredible second act unto itself where he's gone out there and done something completely different, but just as relevant. I thought so. I really was into it. I I, I wasn't a, I mean, I, I also wasn't bad at big audio dynamite. Yeah. Well, this <laughs> podcast is you called turn. Now you might want to crack me in the face. That might be too soft. <laughs> no, no. Well, I was going to say, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but this podcast is called turned out a punk after I turned out a punk by big audio uh, dynamite. Uh, I don't know why I thought I was dealing with Brazil. Am I dealing with, no, you're not, you're, I don't know why I thought I was doing something that had to do with Brazil or that, maybe because it was so late and I thought I was on a time difference. I don't know what's going on. No, no. I just have to wait till my kids are asleep or else there would be screaming oh, I, and wars going on in the background that would disrupt this. Very no, <laughs> I totally understand. You can, yes, I think you can relate. I've got three yeah. boys who are, you know, very much quarantined out at this point so get three boys are you guys really quarantining there still like we are not not so much but at the same time like because our kids have now gone back to school we now have to kind of like bubble up again just because their bubble has gotten to be their whole school so it's are they back in they're back in yeah this is oh we're not 
I, it's, it's, we, I don't know if we should be either, you know, like I, I'm as a parent, you know, this is definitely pulling back the fourth wall of those podcasts a little bit, but I am, I'm very nervous about this whole thing. Um, yeah, and, me too. I talk about all this shit on my show, so I don't really care. <laughs> normally on here, we keep it super nerdy and musical, but like at the same time, like it's such like, uh, it's, it's, it's honestly what I'm dealing with. So yeah, a hundred percent, you know, feel yeah. like I can be open about it, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, every day it's like, let's take him to school again today and we'll see if that's the same tomorrow. You know, it's just day by day. Yeah, I totally, you know, you know what? I can spin it right back. I can spin it right back to the podcast. <laughs> you're a pro, you're a pro. <laughs> you know, the, the only thing that better come out of this aside from some sort of, um, is, is we all got to wake up somehow, you know, and I, mm -hmm. and hopefully that this is, you know, woken something different in every human being. It might be something that, you know, that, that's not a common denominator, but, you know, I think everybody has had a lot of time to reflect on whatever. But man, because I love music so much, all I ever care about is what kind of musical output is going to come from this. I mean, I know like my boyfriend, um, he sits in his lab downstairs. We call it the lab. It's really the garage. And, um, I mean, all he does is make like psycho alien sounds all day. And he put out an album in the quarantine. I mean, his band, who's a pretty big band who you probably, you probably know their band. Yes. Um, you, you know, all them witches. White snake. No, that's not my boyfriend. Oh my God. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I'm not really vocal in the press when I switch partners. I'll edit that out. I can edit this out. Do not worry. You about don't it. have to edit it out. Okay. I, I don't care about any of that shit. It's okay. fine. It's totally fine. Um, no, uh, my boyfriend's in a band called All Them Witches. Oh, awesome. Okay. Do you know that band? No, I do not, but I will definitely, that'll oh, be my shit. first thing I'm well, looking you, up afterwards. You mentioned sleep and you mentioned, you know, so you, you probably dig some good stoner rock. I love um, it. Oh, okay. So they're, this, they, they are like the godfathers of it, even though they're very young. I will. I will uh, be checking them out and smoking some heavy dabs and listening to them. After yeah, the dude. Their well, their new album actually just came out um, a couple of weeks ago and is charting like crazy. They're huge, like in Germany. You know, and you know the you know the Germans know their rock and roll. Absolutely no, it, and um, it also uh, that's, it's a genre that like like you're saying earlier. There's so many weird splinters off of this thing that there are that like, you know, I'm a huge fan of stoner rock, but I'm, I'm certainly not as immersed as I should be. And I love learning about new bands. So this has been, you know, well, much better than talking about white snake. I could tell you that much. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, you know, that was a part of our youth that, you know, it, it came and it went, but that's, that's, you know, top notch pop music for you right there. <laughs> and, you know, and he had, and he had that voice, man. He had, he had the, uh, he had that Zeppelin sounding voice. So what are you going to do? And he's deep purple, man. You can't, you can't, can't knock deep purple, deep purple man. Yeah. You can't knock deep purple. But, um, but as far as all them witches, there are, you know, there's a lot of stoner rock bands out there. These guys are at the top tier. Like they really are. And I'm not saying it cause he's my boyfriend because I don't need to, cause you know, I, I'm not going to talk about the other band either, but, um, I mean, even my, my ex's music, like he had, you know, talking about like a sign of the times, my ex had an album called black ribbons. Um, my ex is shooter Jennings and he, he's a country artist. Mm -hmm. But um, this album, Black Ribbons, is the most fucking punk rock thing there is out there. It's not punk rock sound, but if you listen to the lyrics, and 
we got Stephen King at that time to narrate the album. And the album takes place on the last night before a new world order takes over and all the radio stations are about to be shut down. And he's DJing from a pirated spot, like in the middle of nowhere. And he hears the cops coming. So every, between every track he's narrating as though he's DJing on his last night. And it's fucking awesome. That's awesome. Well, I was going to say, yeah. Stephen King, there's a rumor that he's a punk rocker, too. So it all comes back to punk rock in some weird way. Well, yeah, man, it's an attitude. So, they're, you know, we're all punk rockers. I would say that we're punk rock before we're hippies, even though we got fucking hairy armpits over here in this house. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, like you brought up the Velvet Underground earlier, and it was punk rock before there was a punk rock. Hell yeah, man. Oh, man, that Loaded album is, that's one of my... Uh, the song "Sweet Nothing" and um, what else? What's what's the, what's my other favorite song off that album? Not "Sweet Nothing." I'm sorry. Um, I can't believe I just said "Sweet Nothing." It's not even what I was thinking. I'm spacing. I'm th- now. I'm thinking of uh, now. I'm now. I'm to um, somehow the Rolling Stones um, <laughs> Exile album with the bootleg of Exile. That's. I was about to talk about "Shine a Light," but that's not the song I'm talking about. Well, I was. Um, gonna, sorry, go on. No. Ask me, ask me questions. Well, I was going to say, like, you know, you kind of like are growing up in New York where you're getting, you know, obviously not what Velvet Underground were experiencing in, in, you know, their time in New York, but because you're way after that, but like, you're still getting the tail end of like, you know, what people, I guess, call the, the, the real New York or the old New York and stuff like that. And I was just wondering, what was that like, you know, growing up in Queens and going into the city and just life in Queens at that time versus what you kind of see now in New York? Well, when I was a kid growing up in Queens, you know, I, you know, I, um, I mean, I was in a lot of stolen cars. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, I was big with my ghetto blaster. As far as music went, man, I was on roller skates and carrying a Helix, um, ghetto blaster, a giant fucking stereo. So everywhere I went, I had to have music no matter where I was. Um, you know, we would sit on a pier and smoke weed and, drink six packs of beer and listen to rush. I mean, that was, <laughs> that was the way, the way, the way it went. Then when we, when I started going into Manhattan, when I was in high school, it was like a whole new world opened up, man. Um, to me, it was the old New York. Cause I didn't know anything, but you know, I used to walk up and down eighth street on the West side and there was a store called flip of Hollywood. That was a famous punk rock store. And that's where I wanted to be all the time. And there was a pizza place, and I can't remember the name of it. It had two tiers, so you could sit on top of each other, and they were always playing the coolest music. And I just wanted to be in it from as little as I – when I was a little kid, I just knew I wanted to be in that world of music somehow. And that's where it was, man. It was all along 8th Street, really, and along the Bowery. I mean, the Bowery wasn't what – it wasn't what – it became the Bowery has become kind of cosmopolitan. When I was a kid, it was fucked up. Um, everything was more fucked up back then before Giuliani got his hands on it. Things were really, um, were dirty and gritty and, and I loved it. You know, we, we didn't want the new New York to happen. We wanted times square. We liked the peep shows. We used to go hang out inside of the triple X theaters, you know, like, the only club that really existed into my twenties that was, that still had those vibes was a place called Coney Island high. And, um, I don't know what Jesse Mallon had a something to do with it. He might've just had a night there. I don't know who owned it, but 
in the sixties, it was called the electric circus. Um, then it was Coney Island high when I was in my twenties and we used to party there and listen to a lot of old punk, but you know, definitely more like dancey, you know, the, the lighter of the, punk, not lighter. I don't want to say the lighter of it all, but you know, it would be like La Tigra and the Pixies and the Deftones and, um, Fugazi and what was the, what was the, what's that French song that, um, it always reminds me. Saplan pour moi. Yes, plastic. Yes, yes, yes. A great Um, song, classic. A classic. So songs like that, they would play at the, at the club because everybody would be dancing and all these hot chicks. I'll just never forget all the hot chicks, man. And their little outfits and they're all kind of like pseudo punk rock, hot style shit. Like they were actually a lot hotter than what the real punk rock kids look like when I was even younger than that, (laughs) you know? So, it was great. And we would party there till 4am listening to music and it was all about music. And then it would, there would be some live bands, maybe, um, I don't even know if, if, I don't know if, I don't even know if the Luna Chicks and the Toilet Boys and, um, Karen Black, Luxurious Horror of Karen Black, Jane County, like, like things like bands like this sort of, that was that, that was in that era mm-hmm. as opposed to like maybe six years back, it would have been more like Murphy's law and the dead milkman, and the dead Kennedys and the Chromax, you know, it kept changing. It, I mean, that's how it evolved sort of, but yeah. And then everybody would come to my house until eight o'clock in the morning and we would order Kiev, which is like <laughs> Veselka. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've always been kind of obsessed with this era that we're talking about in New York, where you do have bands like, you know, degeneration and of course like the lunatics and stuff happening. And like, it feels like it was a real era of transition. Like the, the New York hardcore stuff that you're talking about earlier with Murphy's law and like the Chromax, it, it seemed like that was kind of like changing. And there was this sort of other scene that was kind of emerging. Yeah. It, well, you know, it was the new, the kids, the kids were coming up. I mean, those guys were getting older. Not that they really were, but that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, everybody, I also think we were all fucking crazy, man. I mean, everybody sort of quit their, everyone quit their day job after a while. Um, and, and God knows the music industry. I mean, it's so hard to sustain, especially in an, an alternative genre. I mean, even the bands that I loved when I was a kid, like, like X, I mean, that was a huge one. Um, and they got to maintain their their ways. Bands like The Clash got to maintain their 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 careers, and you know Joy Division <clears throat> um, cut short. Um, but then New Order, and then I don't know. I felt like all those New York bands, like that we were talking about before. Everybody, I don't know if they grew out of it, or I don't know how you sustain that kind of even that kind of music when you're an older man. I mean, Iggy Pop can fucking do anything, God knows. Yeah. But a lot of people haven't. A lot of people just tapped out, like the Violent Femmes. What the fuck? Well, yeah. actually, they played recently, right? They played like a few years ago. Yeah, they've kind of like, um, actually, I think they were supposed to come on tour this summer with someone like Blondie, maybe? No, someone else, but like someone kind of interesting. And actually, the Lunatics were supposed to, my wife was really excited about going to the reunion in New York that was supposed to happen this summer and then before everything changed. But you're right, like these bands didn't really get that second act that they should have, like especially in terms of talking about like the bands like the Lunatics and stuff. And it, I don't know if they went for it, though. I don't know if a lot. But then, I, you know what? I'm going to be talking to Theo soon because she's going to do my show because she's writing a book. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So she's... um. 
I'm going to ask her, what the fuck? What happened? What happened to all you guys? Well, and she acted too. She was in a movie, right? I don't know. I, you know, I, I knew her from the scene, but I never really knew her that well. I was friendlier with Sean, her boyfriend from the Toilet Boys, mm -hmm. but they weren't together back in those days. I think they met like like after the scene, To I think. Well, um, you have to ask her about her movie because it was produced by High Times, the magazine. Oh, really? Wait, was she in one of those... Um, no, she wasn't one of who am I thinking of? The those Tron no the, the trauma trauma films, man. <laughs> yeah. No. No, this is slightly slightly a, a little more uh highbrow than that, but it's it's it was like a high times cannabis crime film where there's a lot of scenes of people just smoking weed. Um, but it also features cameos from people from the Toilet Boys as well. It's a it's a real fun watch. My wife and I smoked a lot of weed and watched it a couple weeks ago. We're we're digging in a lot of weird stuff during COVID. Wait, what's it called? Tell me. I'm trying to remember right now. I'm looking it up. Uh, oh, don't, don't worry about it. I will I will uh, I will let you know and I will uh, put it in the intro as well because it is a fun movie to watch and also features oh there's like tons of good cameos in it. I won't get into it now. I'll let you I'll let the surprise hit you when you watch it. All right. Um, I also the the other band that I saw live a lot was um was Karen Black Luxurious Horror Karen Black that was a fun and my friend but my buddy who lives out here was always one of her stage her stage boys where he was all you know painted blue and dressed up all crazy that was an awesome show man in like a real like you know like a real holdover from that New York performance art scene that would have been ex happening a few years earlier. Well, um, what uh, Karen Black? Yeah, like like a real like kind of like one of those people that was still existing from that scene and and kind of putting that performance art spin on on. Yeah, well, she was she. I guess she was a little older than me back in those days, but I feel like we're in the same age range. Um, and then also at that time in New York, there was a very little bar, um, in the Jane Street Hotel, and it was. Oh, you know, usually pretty empty. And there was a show being developed in there called Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yeah. And I used to go every friggin' weekend because I was fucking obsessed with it. And sooner than sooner than later, man, that thing exploded and became what it was. But they were just working it in some small theater until they brought it a little bigger and a little bigger and a little bigger. And then bam. So that for me was a little bit of a I got to reminisce just having that mm -hmm. in, in, um, in our world. I would, you know, it's, first of all, you're like watching someone create something from the ground up and then seeing their success. And it's not the mainstream brand of music. It's not the mainstream, um, storyline. I mean, you, this is a, a, a man screaming about how he has a one inch dick after a botched operation, sex change operation. I mean, it's, <laughs> You know, it doesn't get more fucking punk rock than that. Absolutely, yeah. And it was, and it's, and it's something completely DIY, right? They built it, like you're saying, yes. from the ground up. Like that's the most important aspect of punk rock is that DIY thing. But then I, you know, I would also hear a lot of, um, a lot of people upset over the fact that he ripped that off from Jane County, and she was the OG punk of of all of that, yeah. that whole in that brand of music so i never really went deep into all that and i i still probably should because i used to go to a bar where she dj'd jane county for years and i always thought fuck man what's the story there i don't want to harass her and ask her but what is the story yeah you know what i've never thought about it like that but i'm i'm maybe that would make sense you know especially 
being from New York and, and Jane County being like you're saying the original punk rock, the first Jane County single comes out in like 1974. Like that's before the Ramones. Yeah. And I guess the whole vibe and the whole act and the whole thing. And I, I didn't, I didn't go deep into it because at that time I was, I was just psyched that she was, you know, DJing the best songs yeah. ever when we'd be out at night. And that was our scene. And that was our scene every Wednesday night at a place called life. It was like a regular nightclub, but they would turn it into a, a, a nice kind of rock punk um, vibe for a, for a night. And we, I used to have a store back in those days that was pretty much considered to be the hangout for a lot of, you know, the dregs of society would come hang out at our shop. The best people you meet. <laughs> yes. We called it Filth Mart because we thought the girls looked so cute because they were so filthy. They were always dressed kind of, kind of filthy, sexy. So the name of the store was Filth Mart. <laughs> <laughs> um you know it's also funny you bring up like you know jane county djing and also i don't know if you're you know honey child coleman um uh a, a, another fantastic musician from new york but she talked about going to shows and or just clubs and seeing basquiat dj back then like new oh York's, my god the, that would be sick well you know new york's the kind of place where you have these kind of legends just spinning records you know like it feels like you know like a you know i know we keep coming back to new york and you're in la and i'm in toronto but at the same time there is something that about that city where there's that energy that keeps producing interesting stuff yes for sure and i'm not there right now which is my house there burnt down right off of st mark's um everything's changed you know i was telling you about coney island high that was there and a lot of cool people would probably dj in there i don't know if uh definitely not basquiat um <laughs> but maybe when it was the electric circus who knows yeah um but that street man was crawling even the store that that is in that in the middle of that block called search and destroy um, a Japanese-owned store that are punk-obsessed. So the whole store, if you would ever, if you look it up, you can see the storefront. If it's even still there, I don't know. But they gentrified that neighborhood so much. And you'll hear all the New Yorkers say, you know, we got to get the fuck out of here. This is all yuppies. This is all that. But I'll tell you what, man, when I'm back there, it's st I still feel it. I still feel the pulse of that city coming from underneath that underneath the, the sidewalks. I don't, I don't care who has moved in there and what the folks look like. Um, I still feel the vibes, man. I know everybody moved out to Brooklyn and now it's like this hipster scene. You know, there's always going to be your little fringe scene, but when you're an old timer like me and you're still in the East village and you're walking to Tompkins square park and I don't know, man, I still feel the art. I still feel inspired. It's, it's badass. <laughs> yeah. I, I know what you're saying. Cause it's just, I guess it's cause everyone lives on top of each other, but it really feels like the potential for anything to happen. Anytime you go out there, like it, it just like, there's just like an energy that you, if you tap into it, like who knows where it's going to take you because it's still there in spite of all that gentrification. Like, you know, when I'm just a tourist going to visit it, you know, when, yeah. I'm, when I'm there. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, if I were walking around with you, I'd be like, yeah, this isn't the same and this sucks and holy shit, look at all this progress over here and, you know, like the Hudson Yards, like there's all this new shit that I haven't even experienced myself yet. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was also someone who never went up to the Twin Towers before they fell down and I was there my whole life. I The only thing I did with the Twin Towers was watch them fall, fall down in front of me. Um, so... 
I don't know, man, no matter what, walking down the street here versus walking down the street there, I don't feel inspired walking down the street here. I feel like I'm just waiting to get back home, you know? Yeah. Uh, going back to high school, were there any kids around you playing in bands at that time? You know, the kids in my, no, I, well, actually there was one of my close friends was, yeah, she was a drummer in a band, but we weren't tight back then. No, I was really hanging out with the kids that were into music um, a lot. Like they were heavily into music, uh, but nobody was really, I mean, I remember the goth guys were sometimes, I would go to their house and, you know, we would like smoke opium and watch them play the fucking bass or the guitar. I think that, you know, their favorite band was probably like Christian Death or some shit. And my favorite was probably Bauhaus at the time. And Bauhaus is still one of my favorites. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, uh, one of the greats. Yeah, but no, no, but I wasn't, you know, and, and somehow I became this groupie later on in life. <laughs> I think I date musicians because I'm not one. And, and my fascination with music is so deep. And it, it just, to me, it transcends everything on this planet. And I also just think it's, it is the great common denominator. You know, you can have a million people from so many walks of life, maybe not at like a punk rock show, because most of those folks have a similar sensibility. But if you take, if you take yourself out of that, even, even the punk rockers love a classic every now and then, but say, you know, Say you're at a, a a a band that's even a little more universal. I won't even pick Sabbath or Maiden or one of the you know the bands that I used to go see also when I was younger. But um, pick someone like the, maybe the Stones or maybe not even the Stones. Maybe something that's even more crazy classic, like a like a Neil Young, because mm-hmm. um, he's a fucking punk rocker, <clears throat> and everybody for fucking two minutes is going to be on the same page, whether they have the same opinions about anything or not. Everyone's going to be on the same page for at least three minutes. And I think that's like mass meditation. Um, and I think that's important. I think it's important to just, to just all be on the same page for just one fucking minute, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, people have talked about it coming on the show as well. Like this, the idea of the, these concerts and these events are almost like mass communions, you know, and it, it yeah. we're all, you like you're saying, it's a meditation. We're all focused on the music for one second. Like that's, that's what's all brought us there. Yeah. And when you go to an all them witches show, it's my boyfriend's band. I had never, I started dating him. I didn't really know their music and, um, which is weird. And, um, when I started watching them play, like my boyfriend's drummer, I've never dated a drummer before. It's the, you're in a trance with that drumming. He plays like a shaman. Um, and that sort of, it's still rock, but it's slow and it's sludgy and it's sexy. And it's like, you think you're going to see a fucking snake, like, you know, coming out of the stage. Um, you are literally put in a trance by their music. Um, it's, 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 it's awesome, man. There's, there's nothing like it. And now, you know, before this quarantine happened, I remember you know, we're starting an alcohol line. So we've been dealing with like how we're going to promote it and what our taglines are going to be and all this stuff. And, um, and a lot of it was about community and a lot of it was about anti, um, anti technology and how we've all isolated. And people were talking about how they were going to start doing virtual concerts. 
And I thought, that's a terrible fucking idea. Like, how dare you start doing a virtual concert? And I was getting responses like, well, kids like to stay at home, get wasted, whatever, and just watch their concert on their computer. And I'm like, no, that cannot be allowed to happen. Kids need to be around other kids. They need to have a chance to feel cool, just like in the Neil Young song, Keep on Rocking in the Free World. Like, they got to be out there drinking their beer, checking each other out. Like, get out from behind that fucking computer. And then, boom, coronavirus hits. And everything everybody was talking about as a possibility became a reality. And now everyone is like, stay connected, but disconnect. And it's like, I swear we're in this, you can't breathe. And that's the, that's the era we're in. 2020 is the year of I can't breathe. I mean, if we're going to name this, this time in our lives, if we're going to have a name for every, every piece of history, this should be the, this should be called the I can't breathe era. From the virus to the fires here to, you know, murdering each other to just the the anxiety people have. And the main thing that people need is to come together. And the best place to do it is in a field listening to fucking music. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels like that's the one thing everyone needs right now is the ability to kind of commune and to be around other people. And so one thing we're kind of incapable of doing right now, because it's like, like you're saying with yourself in high school, like finding people that accept you and finding a place where you fit in, um, you know, that, that can save your life. Yeah. We've got gotten so used to just hearing people's voices through a phone Mm -hmm. that it's almost starting to become acceptable and okay. And that fucking scares me. Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, no, definitely. It's like, it's, I hope we come back to it, you know, because I definitely, I've, I'm much like you. I, I don't know if I would be here without that experience growing up, like finding a place where I could kind of go and be free and, you know, be with other people. Concerts, man. Yeah. Concerts. That's all I care about. I don't care if we ever go to the movies again, even though I'm an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go to live concerts. Uh, do you remember the first concert you ever went to? Oh, you really want to die and fall over on your chair and have all your audience members throw their phones against the wall? I'll tell you. I'm going to fucking be real honest right now. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna lay two of them on you because they're so bad. <laughs> I'm going to lay Sean. Drea? <laughs> it was just, it was the perfect buildup, and then it just dropped right out. So. Yeah. I'm telling you, somebody didn't want me to tell you. (laughs) My dead friends in heaven are all like, Dre, come on. Don't fucking expose yourself like that. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, though. Sean Cassidy. That's not bad. That's pretty bad. That's not bad. I had a big crush on him. Uh, And and those those records hold up. Yeah, you know. Wait, let me get you. Let me go deeper. Hold on. (laughs) Let me let me get you with this one. How about Manu, though? That's pretty cool. Like, you know, ah! it could be worse. It could be new kids. Like, Menudo's at least got some, like, you know, like, there's some intrigue there. Ricky Martin. Oh, my God. Ricky Martin. Um, Yeah, well, I was raised by a Spanish lady, and Menudo was my number one go-to, and I was part of their fan club, and I used to be one of those psychopaths that would stand outside their hotels and scream and cry. <laughs> How would you find out what hotel they were staying at? I could never figure that out as a kid. I have no idea. <laughs> I, don't know. I think I think my the my nanny told me, "Ay, vamos a ir a este hotel." Oh, okay. 
<laughs> oh my god so crazy but then my first like my first rock show was maiden and i remember being 14 at madison square garden um yeah i remember the fucking eddie coming out on stage and i don't really know that i was paying that much attention to the music although i you know i was into maiden in those days but um it was just more you know it was a hang it yeah. was it was being with your you ever see the movie christian f yeah, I have actually. Once again, working at a video store that specializes in foreign films. That's a German film, right? Yes, it's um the guy who did Last Exit to Brooklyn. It was what it was my favorite film when I was a kid, which would would explain a lot <laughs> about the roads that I took because it's a film about a twelve year or thirteen year old junkie in Germany in Berlin, and the soundtrack um, is by David Bowie, mm. and it's fucking great. Um, it's his German years, which you know. Bowie lived in my house, the house that I live in now. Really? And, um, yeah, and he, my, my daughter has a little bit of a Bowie obsession because, you know, because he lived here. And she, I think she just also really loves his art. And I took her to see, um, to see the, uh, the exhibit in Brooklyn at, the ba at, at BAM, that he had this really great exhibit. And he talks about living in Los Angeles and he talks about being miserable here. And so we had a weird thing that happened in our bathroom, which is why she likes Bowie. Um, the bathroom at a note, it was her first shower ever that she'd ever taken and not a bath. So I'm standing in the shower with her and my son, I think it was his first shower too. And out of nowhere, the lights go out and I'm like, shit, okay, well, they still have conditioner in their hair. So I go to get something and then I come back and I stand, I'm standing in the shower to see, I was checking to see the lights were, were working. I get back in the shower, no lights. Okay, I'm going to rinse their hair. And then something just comes crashing down on us. All of a sudden, all I get my phone, my iPhone, I go, don't move. And I, I look into the tub with the, with the flashlight and all the tiles had fallen on us. Whoa. Yeah. And then two seconds later, the phone rings and my girlfriend goes, and I go, dude, I can't talk. All the tiles just fell on the kids. And she's like, in the shower? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, dude, Bowie just died. And I was like, okay. She's like, Dre, he used to sleep in your bathroom. And I was like, okay, let's not be crazy. <laughs> I was like, don't be crazy right now. I was like, you think he's flying around? He just willed the, the, the tiles in my bathroom to come crashing down. So we always joke about that story that like he was visiting and whatever, because they're kids, you know? Mm -hmm. And then she and I were at this exhibit and he's talking about his, his days in Los Angeles and how unhappy he was. And how miserable he was and how he found his way once he went back to Berlin. And I think during that time in Berlin, he made a lot of really great music. But he also did that soundtrack for Christian F, which is a really impressive soundtrack. It's beyond just his, you know, his performances and stuff like that. Like this is a soundtrack to a movie um, that's pretty intense and it's really dark. You know, there are some of his regular songs on there, but they're different versions of them. But it's definitely an album worth checking out, and it's a good one to have on vinyl. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> it's you no, know, it's amazing how Bowie's like you know once again one of these artists who like it, it. There's just so many aspects to his career, you know, like even way more than John Lydon, to be honest. Because oh yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, this is a whole different thing, and we're talking about. I mean, look to me, all of these guys are punk rockers, you know. Oh, absolutely. I I think that all any any artist that has, you know, gone against the grain or, you know, 
you know, anybody who's not conforming to any one thing is, is punk rock, man. I'm, I mean, there's, there's songs like, like Pink Floyd has a song called the Nile song, which is one of my favorite songs. Whenever I hear it, I'm like, I'm like, dude, this is so punk rock for, for Pink Floyd, man. I love this song. It's one of my favorite. Um, even, even the Grateful Dead have Cream Puff War, which sounds like a garage rock punk song, you know, like yeah. even the dead. Yes, I, I totally, even like Bowie has a song called, um, is it She Shook Me Cold or maybe, and then, and then, uh, Aerosmith has a song called Round and Round that don't sound like their music at all. You know, mm -hmm. when they just kind of break loose and have some real heavy, you know, you know, a, har a harder song. I dig it, man. Well, to, to bring it back to your first love disco, have you ever heard the village people's <laughs> song Food Fight? I don't know. The village people did a punk song that's like one of the best <laughs> punk songs ever called Food Fight about having oh a food fight God. at school. And no, I do. It's on Renaissance, their comeback record, where they also have a song about Big Macs. And it's like a new romantic kind of record, but they do have that one raging punk song on it. Oh, my God. No, that's amazing. Um, I don't know that much about disco, actually. I was just fucking around. <laughs> but I do know. But I do know a little. But not a lot. I know a lot more about rock and roll. Yeah, I don't. I don't blame you on that one. And I also, but uh, you know, as much as I do appreciate disco, I'm very much the same way as yourself. Dre, this has been incredible. Would you come back at some point in the future for a part two? Of course. Um, before I let you go, though, I'm just fascinated because you did own the store in New York, and I just wanted to talk to you about that kind of because it's become so romanticized now. But that moment where things kind of shift to Brooklyn, and you do have that "Meet Me in the Bathroom" kind of you know, New York Renaissance kind of thing kick off. And I just wondered what your take was as being someone that was there before that on when all that stuff was happening. Wait, I'm so, I think I might've lost you there. I think I might've gotten <laughs> confused with how eloquent you are. Damian. Sorry. I apologize. I, <laughs> I, I can be a little verbose sometimes. I'm from Queens. I'm from Queens. Break it down. Break it down. For well, a I just meant like, you know, when like bands like, you know, the strokes and TV on the radio and the yeah, yeah, yeahs and all this kind of stuff happening in Brooklyn, and I just wonder, from your perspective, being someone that grew up in New York and, and you know, experienced the Toilet Boys and all that kind of stuff, what your take was on that kind of scene that happened? Oh, okay. See, I didn't know. I don't know that scene. You know, I, I dug the strokes, man. I'm not going to lie. When they came out, I was pumped. I, you know, when the White Stripes and the Strokes came out at the same time, um, I was really into that shit. <laughs> but then there are other bands. I, you know, I didn't know the yeah, yeah, yeahs that much. What were the other bands you mentioned? I, I fell off at that point. I was done looking for new music. Um, the only new music I've probably listened to since those days is probably this band, All Them Witches, because it 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 resonates for me. Because you'll see when you listen to it, you, you should get yourself um, a couple of their older records. Their new record just came out too, which is a little more riffy. But their older records um, are going to be totally up your alley, I think. Um, Dying Surfer is one of them. You can even listen to them live in Brussels. It's pretty awesome. But um, I fell off with all of those bands that were coming up, except for the ones that were able to make it through to the mainstream. And I only found out about them because they made it through to the mainstream. I stopped trying to find the underground of anything at that time. I, You know, at that point, I was... I was acting, you know, I was on the Sopranos, like things were, you know, my life was changing. I was hanging on to, I was listening to fucking, you know, Dr. Hook and the medicine show at that time, or like Tony Joe white, or I was totally immersed in country music. I mean, if we want to go country punk ish, I could go unknown Henson for you. <laughs> we talked to X earlier too, right? So 
Huh? We touched on X earlier, so we've we've definitely touched the country punk thing a little bit. Yes, totally. So I was um and I was dating Shooter, um, we and we were making babies and stuff, like definitely a lot of we were listening to a lot of different music at that time, like Dax Riggs was was one of my favorites, um, who's an, a newer artist, but I didn't really know the new scene that was happening in Brooklyn. I had fallen off and I think I felt like I was an old lady at that point. Um, but we were, that was when we were chilling at Coney Island high. Mm -hmm. That's when we were still partying, um, in Manhattan. I never made that, that, um, migration over to, um, to Brooklyn ever. I was from, I was from Queens. So I was like, yo, I'm, I just came out of a borough. You're not, I'm not going to another one. I'm in Manhattan now. I'm here to stay. (laughs) And I guess the Sopranos is, is blowing up at the exact same time. You know, it's almost like. You know, and obviously it's New Jersey, not so much New York, but it's almost like the sort of like East Coast Renaissance that's happening on TV as well as in music at that time. Yeah, but what I mean, the Renaissance that was happening in music at that time, I was, I was stuck in a time warp, man. I definitely was. I, you know, I was holding tight to the to the music that I had grown up with. I think more like back to the, you know, back to Zappa or like Captain Beefheart and. Another some all this weird European shit. I like I was listening to a lot of Can and and the, like the Os Mutantes, like shit like that. Um, I wasn't paying attention to what was happening in the new music scene at all. You know what band was cool though from in New York that I really appreciated. Um, there was this band Are Weapons, <coughs> and then they became TV Baby. I think they're called TV Baby. I'm not sure. I like them. You know, it's not anything crazy. There's no, it's not, no big, nothing, no big production there, but just standard, good sounding New York vibes for me. Yeah. Like it was also that I remember reading about them in Vice all the time too. And it's definitely of that era. They kind of felt like they were a band that, you know, should have got, should have caught on more. I thought so. I did. And I don't know why they didn't because they should have had, they should have had their day, but I think. I think in the in these days and in those days, the punk or the suit, not even punk, you know, just new wave or whatever. I don't even know how to how to label shit anymore. It's impossible for a fucking musician to make it these days. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, the labels have disintegrated. I think that the music industry has been redefining itself since this whole computer era. It still hasn't found its its real voice yet. The only thing that's surviving is pop country and pop, and you know, and and a lot of like you know maybe hip hop R and B kind of stuff. But but even those bands, like like why isn't ASAP Rocky the biggest rapper in the world right now? Like he should be. I think, <laughs> anyway. I think, you know, it's like we were talking. Well, it's earlier with you know, like now it's been commodified. Like culture has been commodified. Like you're you know yourself and myself, we're churning out hour plus content a week for people for free, you know? And it's like, you know, musicians are competing with that. Like the fact that, you know, I have every song ever on my phone right now, um, you know, and I know it's cannibalizing my industry, but at the same time, it's so convenient. I have to do it. You know, it just, I know, I know it's, it's uh, a, I get what you're saying. You know, it definitely is a, it's a very weird time, especially when you look back at a moment where, there were major labels that were throwing huge money behind bands and bands were selling, you know, many copies of a CD so they could kind of survive on like Fugazi was selling half a million copies of a record. Like they were living pretty good. I imagine off 
album sales. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a band like my boyfriend's band, and they're a pretty big band for, you know, for their size. They're still a pretty big band, and they don't even see a dollar from their label. And I'll be honest, they don't see a fucking dollar. It's crazy. It's 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 a it's a tragedy like that. That's what's happened to music. Um, before I let you go, one last question. I just wanted because I I'm fascinated by this era. As I say, you hear so much about the violence in New York, especially in hardcore throughout the '80s. And I was just wondering, from firsthand kind of experience, was that something you ever witnessed, or was that is that something you think that people have kind of played up for whatever reason over the years? No, it was it was definitely out of control, man. It was, and I did witness a lot of that being at those shows. I mean, from anywhere from like a Bad Brains shows, like I told you, that Fear show at the Ritz that night was a was a was a volatile show, and even at the Chromex shows, I mean, all all of those shows were wild, man. And I didn't, I did not, I don't know. I was a chick, and I was an angry chick, and I had my you know my baggage, but that was not my scene, you know, mm -hmm. the mosh pit, the, the the you know even, and I had a lot of skinheads too. Um, back in those days, even the kids in high school, like turned skinhead when we were, when we were kids mm -hmm. and <clears throat> I couldn't get with that, with the pit. I didn't get it, man. I, I mean, I get a good stage dive, like at a rock show, but that like aggressive punk rock thing, that was where I got lost, you know, cause that, that was where I was like, man, can't we just hug? <laughs> <laughs> That's I, just what I, want to, I want to smell your stinky armpits, man. Don't go out in there. Don't go out into the pit. That's where those goths smoking opium come in. You know, it's it's much yeah. chiller. Yes, man. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm over here. I'm the bubblegum goth. Come hang out with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening to Susie and the Banshees right here. Want to come hang out? I mean, she was my favorite when I was a kid. She's the queen. You know, she was there oh. at the very beginning. She's the greatest. Uh, Drea, this has been the greatest. Anytime you want to come back on this podcast, please know the door is always open. Listen, Damien, you know where to freaking find me. I'll talk all fucking day. It's what I do. Now, especially now that I can't act, all I do is talk all day. So if you need me, call me. Thank you, Drea, for coming on the show. And how fucking cool was that? Drea is the coolest of all time. Like, that was so badass. Now, uh, I promised I would give you the notes at the very end of the show. So, Potluck is the name of the movie that Theo from The Lunachicks is involved in, and it was produced by High Times. Great movie. I'm sure you can track it down somewhere out there on the internet. And I did do some uh, reading about uh, Jane County and Hedwig and the Angry Inch after, you know, talking to Drea and, and of Lo and behold, it is very much true, uh, what Drea said. You can read a, a fascinating article actually written by Jane County, a really amazing article, not just about this, but about a lot of things about her whole life. Uh, but it does touch on the Hedwig and the Angry Inch stuff, so just Google Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Jane County, and maybe put an interview, but I don't think you need to put an interview. It came up pretty quick for me like that. All right. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe how cool Drea was. <laughs> it was so awesome. You're right there. She's going to be back for a part two, so we'll, we'll you know... We'll hang out with her more in the future. Speaking of the future, it's Sopranos week here on Turnetta Punk, and Tristan went out of his way to make sure that it was going to be a full week, which means that coming up in two short days, Michael Imperioli will be on the show. Now, Michael has been, you know, making the rounds as of late, going out there, talking on social media about punk rock, which you know what that means. Turnetta Punk is going to come a knocking on your door to hear that origin story. And this is a really fun episode we talk about 
all sorts of stuff. We get into, you know, I'm going to want to save it for you, but don't worry. We do talk Green Day. We do talk Green Day on the Sopranos set. Michael also has a fantastic podcast called Talking Sopranos about the Sopranos. And do not forget to check out Drea's incredibly fun podcast, The Gangster's Goddesses Broadcast. Uh, I tell you, it is hilarious. It's a good time. Well, that's it. Uh, thank you so much to Tristan again for uh, putting this week together. Sopranos Week has, is you know a, a dream come true for me here on the podcast. So uh, thank you, everyone, for checking it out. As always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous people matter. Please, right now, sign up, show up, get involved. Uh, there's money needed right now, certainly in the Louisville Bail Fund. It's a real pivotal time in history, and you want to make sure you're on the right side of that. So fuck fascism in all its forms. Stand up to it. Uh, get involved right now. Donate money if you can. Show up. You know, Be involved. Be present. Uh, also, donate your organs. Uh, sign your organ donor cards. <laughs> when they come looking for those organs, you're not going to need them anymore. You know, you know, don't don't donate anything you, you need. But when they come for these organs, you're not going to need them anymore. So sign your organ donor cards. Also, go there and make your own culture because trust me, it, it'll help. It'll help. So just put yourself out there. Put yourself into a, a creative effort. Maybe don't put yourself out there, but put yourself into a creative effort and. Uh, yeah, just, just get involved. Get involved. Um, and that's it. Uh, wear a mask. Stay safe. And I love you. I got I to gotta get editing uh, the next episode. Sopranos week! Yeah! How sick was Drea? She was so fucking awesome. All right. That's it, everyone. Thank you very much. See you next week. Why, why do I say that? Next week. Next episode. So a so few, few, few hours, basically.